Hello and welcome to the Mindful Coach Podcast, a podcast where you'll meet the courageous coaches and helping professionals who value mindfulness in their life and work and hear their inspiring stories firsthand. You'll hear about new technology that is breaking new ground, as well as discussions with experts to help you be more successful in your practice. It's going to be a lot of fun, and you're going to meet some remarkable people. And I'm your host, Brett Hill. I'm a mindful somatic coach and founder of the Mindful Coach Association. I meet a lot of coaches working with the Mindful Coach Association. I'm so inspired by their stories and the courageous work that they're doing that I created this podcast so you can hear them too. If you're aligned with this work, then join us at themindfulcoachassociation.com where you can list your services for absolutely free and receive invitations to community meetings where you can network and meet your colleagues. We hope you'll join us. And now, the Mindful Coach Podcast. So I'm very, very excited to welcome to the show today, Nicholas Whitaker. I've had a great time talking to him recently about the work that he's doing, and I felt like he's just got to be on the podcast and talk about some of the important work that he's up to. So by way of introduction, he's a change and transition coach. He was a special focus on recently laid off tech workers. And I know you've been reading and hearing about the headlines of that lately. And it's, it's, it's a big deal. It really is. He coaches knowledge workers and founders through the uncertainty and ambiguity of big pivots, layoffs, leaves of absence, sabbaticals, and other unprecedented times to find greater balance Calm, focus, energy, and fulfillment, which is a lot, and that's a lot of goodness going on there. So I really appreciate having you on the show. How are you doing, Nicholas? I'm doing really well, Brett. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, you know, uh, when we talked about the work that you were doing and you mentioned you were working so much with um, with the people who've been laid off recently, and there's been big numbers going on with you know, Amazon, Google, mm-hmm. Microsoft, just across the board, that being your specialty, I'm guessing that you've been kind of a busy guy lately. I have been a busy guy. And unfortunately, I count myself among those folks as well. Uh, you know, I actually got laid off myself back in January from Google after 13 years of the tech industry. Oh, and, wow. you know, I had always had coaching as kind of a side hustle. Uh, I had been doing mindfulness practice for a very long time. I was doing facilitation and actually managing and helping run a lot of the uh, well-being and mindfulness programs at Google. So you were like, I mean, Google is famous for the Search Inside Yourself program. Um, yep. And were you a part of that organization or that, that effort? Yeah, so there's two main efforts uh, that were at play within Google. There was the Search Inside Yourself program, which started within Google and became its own external entity, and then has been spreading uh, their good work all over the world ever since. So I was a trained Search Inside Yourself facilitator. I actually got trained the month before the pandemic hit. So I never really got a chance to do a lot of the in-person engagements. Uh, But I did do a a couple of the remote versions of that. And then this other program that they had was called G-PAUSE. G-P-A-U-S-E. And that was our meditation and mindfulness community. And that was something I had been a part of since back in all the way to the 2015 or so. And uh, I had brought a lot of my marketing and partnerships experience to that program to help scale it globally during the pandemic, uh, turn everything into remote uh, offerings, and then make sure that we have enough uh, facilitators and opportunities for folks, regardless of where they're, wherever they were in the world and what time zone they were in. So we were able to scale that program up to about 5,000 people by the time I left. Wow, that's a big deal. What happened with that, that whole organization? Yeah, well, so the GPAWS organization is is... As far as I know, it's still a thing. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, it was always a grassroots kind of volunteer effort. Uh, it kind of mm -hmm. bounced around a couple of different uh, entities within Google, like different teams and organizations kind of held it uh, as a program. And there's a wonderful woman, Ann Ross, who's actually managing the program still to this day. She's still at Google. Mm -hmm. um, but a large part of our leadership team, all of us were volunteers, uh, were uh, let go. So uh, as part of this big layoff that happened in January 20th, about 12,000 people at Google got laid off. And, you know, as that happened, what I realized was the thing that I could offer the most to the community and the things that I could help people with the most was my coaching and mindfulness work. So instead of turning my attention to getting another tech job and then just going back into program or project mm -hmm. management, I turned my side hustle into my full-time hustle. And so here we are now. And I, I have been really busy. You know, there's a, a lot of folks that are struggling right now. There's a lot of folks that are trying to figure out what comes next. And, you know, I've got a bit of a speciality in this change and transition uh, approach uh, and particularly bringing a mindfulness lens to it. So it kind of was a perfect fit for my skill set and for the, the opportunity of the moment here. Did you know you were going to be laid off or did it just or how did that all occur? Yeah, not not a great scenario, not, not <laughs> the best uh, best way that Google has ever uh manage something as far as I can tell. But yeah, I got an email at three o'clock in the morning on a Friday, you know, and I actually had no real indication that I specifically was going to get laid off. But there was murmurings, you know, we had uh, mm -hmm. Microsoft and Amazon had already announced a few things. Uh, you know, the, the ball was rolling in the tech industry. And the fact that so many different companies were coming up with this 6% number, 6% of their staff was going to be let go. It was only a matter of time before it hit Google. Um, the irony is that I had just had a conversation with my new team that I was about ready to join and the new manager that I was about ready to start reporting to. And we had just had a conversation about layoffs. She's like, I oh, know, like, you probably don't have anything to worry about. We're a team that really helps business, you know, drive yeah, business where, out. Where have I heard that like before, that. right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, so, you know, either I find myself at three o'clock in the morning with, a, with an email in my inbox. And I actually didn't find it until I woke up that later that morning. Hmm. Grab my phone. Uh, very atypical of me. I grabbed my phone on my way into the bathroom just to kind of check something because I had a feeling that I needed to check and see what was going on. And hmm. I had just a, a, a whole list of messages from friends, text messages. And actually, my old boss had messaged me and he said, you know, are you safe? Are you okay? And my first thought here living in Colorado where there's fires <laughs> and shootings all the time. Yeah, fire. Is there a fire? You know, is there a <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was some kind of big thing that occurred, but no, it turns out, you know, I tried to log into my corporate account, wasn't available on my phone, tried to log on my computer, wasn't available there. And I was like, mm, there might be a pattern here. Uh, <laughs> and I quickly realized that like, you know, there was something going on. So mm -hmm. found the email, found the severance letter and there we are, you know, me and, and 12,000 other very talented people got let go. Mm, that's so sad. All right. So here you are, you've been doing this work, you get this sudden message, you're laid off, and that's obviously going to be a, a lot to take in. Um, mm -hmm. What happens next? Is that okay to ask? Yeah, no, I'm happy to talk about it. You know, for me, I mean, I, in some ways, Brett, you know, I think I was really lucky, you know, because mm -hmm. I had, I had literally a month or two prior had just done my five year plan. And mm -hmm. it was like, okay, I'm going to put about five more years into big tech. Uh, I'm going to build these certain skills and then I'm going to launch my coaching plan. And that, that would be basically what I do into mm. retirement and beyond. Um, so I already had a vision. I already had kind of a course in mind in terms of what I was going to do. It's just that the five-year plan turned into a five-month plan. So <laughs> right. you know, Friday happened. You know, I spent most of Friday actually really just interacting with friends and colleagues and all the well-wishing that I was getting, people reaching out to see if, first of all, if I was laid off because there just mm. wasn't a lot of information in terms of who was actually laid off or who wasn't. Um, and then obviously people reaching out for support. 
So I spent most of Friday doing that. Saturday and Sunday was, you know, a bit of an emotional roller coaster and just processing everything that just had happened. And come Monday morning, it was like, all right, boot up and we're going to go uh, start this new business. And for me, you know, is this is this striking opportunity of the, this intersection of the moment in time of what was occurring and the skill set that I had. So I had yeah. felt a sense of urgency around that. And I did a bit of basically a 60 day sprint building my company uh, until just recently when I took a, a little mini vacation. And that's what I've been basically up to ever since. Tell me a little bit more about mm-hmm. that, that sense of urgency. What was what was driving you there? I think trying to be of service, you know, I've always been a run towards the fire kind of guy, you know, like whether it's you know, helping people, you know, in crisis, like, you know, helping somebody on the side of the road, actually, we just went on vacation, my wife and I, and we came through like Powell and somebody had like, for some reason decided to drive their Tesla down into the sand. So like we stopped what we were doing and spent an hour and a half recovering them out of the sand with our, with our vehicle. You know, so for me, it was, it was twofold. It was being of service, knowing that there's a lot of people that were maybe less resourced than I am and that maybe were in, in worse situations than I am and wanting to be there and being of service there. I think another thing was I know from my own history, being of service and helping others and volunteering is a part of my own healing process. And it helps me process trauma and it helps me process grief. Yeah. So it was an obvious yes for me, uh, as opposed to like, what a lot of other folks have done, which makes sense for them. You know, it's like, let's get back into the job application route or like, let's just completely go offline for a period of time so that Mm -hmm. I can heal and process. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm an action oriented person. And um, the urgency I think was, yeah, I need this as much as the the folks that have just been been impacted by this need this as well. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're using as, there's a lot there in terms of the, just the innate, urge to be of service and then also having enough emotional intelligence to realize that not only can you be of service but this is important for you as well absolutely yeah and i I think for me it's almost this it's almost selfishly the second part is the, the 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 heavier piece it's like i know i needed a process i needed something to pour myself into that gave me purpose and fulfillment Mm -hmm. and meaning Going in and applying for jobs was not going to do that. Mm. So this for me made a lot of sense. It was like, finally, I have the opportunity to focus my attention on the things that really matter to me, which is being of service and helping other people and helping other people discover mindfulness and meditation. And so do you think that your practice with mindfulness and your experience helped you navigate those waters? And if so, I'd like to I'd like to understand a little bit more how that showed up for you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's been a complete godsend, you know, having that set of skills. I mean, not even just the for the, the layoff itself. I, I'd say like going back even the last two years, it's been a really tumultuous time uh, within Google and within tech in general. Mm-hmm. The, the pandemic did not uh, did not help. You know, a lot of these companies, they really weren't ready or poised to deal with a shift to remote work and then a shift back to the office. And there's this very large amount of ambiguity there. And throughout the last two years, I mean, ironically, I was actually completing a teacher certification program for mindfulness meditation. Uh, I was completing some coaching training. So I was building these skills already. And it's really what has carried me through the entire pandemic so far. So when the when the event actually happened, when the layoffs actually occurred, of course, there was like this swell of emotion and there was a lot of grief and pain and it's stuff I'm still dealing with to this day. Mm-hmm. But, you know, underneath all of that was like this kind of very grounded equanimity of like, well, this is what it is, you know, and 
you know, being able to be present to that experience and sense into that, I think gave me a lot of a, an opportunity to, yeah, seek what I needed in that moment in very clear ways. Um, and then take action in very, very clear ways as well. Uh, once I was ready to do that. Mm, to seek action in very clear ways. I like that. I'm using my own coaching intuition here. As I said, that sounds like it might be a theme for you. Yeah, I think it is. You know, I mean, for me, it's really important to understand the impulses behind action and, and like mm. what's really driving choice and driving action in the first place. And, and I think in other var variations of myself and even myself last year, I was going through a bit of a mental health and a health crisis. Mm. My reflex reaction was to like pepper out hundreds of applications for other jobs, which yeah. went nowhere. And it made me feel horrible and it really didn't move me in the direction that I needed to go. So mm -hmm. when this event happened and as I was experiencing uh, all of the feelings that come up around it, you know, I was really sensing into and giving myself space to feel into what was most important. Like what, what, what did I need to, to demarcate this period in time and to like allow myself to move forward. And to your point, you know, I think for me, a theme has always been helping, you know, reaching out, being of service, volunteering. Um, and it, it just seemed like an obvious choice. And it was like the, the, the loudest voice in the room at that time. And the most resonant, right? In a way, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm making, I'm using words for you here, but, but yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. So I get curious around how you got started in terms of mindfulness, in terms of how that door opened for you. Did you had that background when you started Google and this was just a, you know, a resonant interest that they had that you aligned with, or did you discover it there? Yeah, well, it's kind of a yes and, you know, so I had going all the way back to like middle school and high school, I had an awareness of mindfulness and meditation It was very much an academic one, though. Like I'd read Alan Watts. I, I think the first book that I picked up was actually Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind mm -hmm. uh, and Art Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Uh, and these were like uh, within a big box uh, bookstore uh, amongst all of the occult slash religion uh, books back in the 90s. That's kind of how they grouped things. Mm -hmm. um, and I picked up those two books. Actually, Actually, one of them I had bought as a gift for a girlfriend that I was dating at the time. And I had read through those and found a little bit of an understanding of, of meditation from a Zen perspective and didn't really grok it, really didn't understand exactly what all of it meant. I just wasn't quite there yet. Uh, but through the years, I had dabbled with it. You know, so when I was in times of crisis or when I was having anxiety uh, or if I was having a lot of difficulty, I would find myself gravitating towards meditation. As the years went on, and once I moved to New York City, I got deeper involved in meditation practice. I was part of the Zen Buddhist Center in, in Brooklyn, New York, and then the Shambhala Center in Manhattan. Uh, but again, it was very casual. It was like every few weeks I would go. I didn't have a daily meditation practice per se. But I think it was like a few years later when I was dealing with a lot of uh, trauma after 9-11 and just a lot of trauma from my childhood. I was still processing a lot of this stuff. I found meditation as being something that was very helpful to deal with a lot of the challenges and swings of emotion that I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. So a buddy of mine uh, and I formed a organization called The Sitting Project. And the whole idea behind this was basically to sit in public and meditate. That's oh, it. Oh, wow. In public. Kind of highlight. Yeah, just to kind of highlight that you can meditate anywhere. It doesn't have to be in an ashram or a temple or on the top of a mountain. You can do it in Times Square. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so we dabbled with that a little bit. And it was right around that same period in time that I came across Wisdom 2.0. So Soren Gordhammer and like this whole yeah. organization of Wisdom 2.0. Um, they actually came into Google uh, while I was still a contractor with Google at the time. And they were hosting an event and I got involved in helping to manage that event and, and kind of just uh, be the, the docent or host of that uh, for Google. And that kind of, I think, planted the seed for me. And it was like, oh, wait a minute. Like there's a role for and a place for meditation and mindfulness, even at work. And that's really kind of got the ball rolling. And then a few years after that, I had, had become more regular as an active practitioner of meditation and mindfulness. It was a, a almost a daily basis at that point. And I had an opportunity to volunteer and contribute more to the GPAWS uh, program that I had mentioned earlier. And then yeah. over time, uh, I kind of surrounded myself with more and more folks from the GPAWS and the Search Inside of Yourself community. I got trained in these things. And then I realized that there was an opportunity for me to bring my marketing and partnerships uh, skills to that organization to help scale it and make it more efficient. So it was a gradual kind of like accumulation over time. Um, but I think it was, it was very much this uh, kind of kismet opportunity. Like as soon as I needed mindfulness and meditation to be in my life, it presented itself in different ways and it kept coming back over and over and over again. Yeah, it seems like you prepared the way there by, you know, kind of doing these touchstones with this, the early works and Alan Watson kind of, you know, keeping in touch. And there's that curiosity piece and, and reading and understanding and wanting to know as the need arose and the opportunity was present, you sort of just stepped into that and there was a natural home for it there, it seemed like. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, and I think what I would add to that, too. I had mentioned previously, it was like when in times of crisis, I would gravitate myself towards meditation and mindfulness. And, you know, I've talked about this on other podcasts and even in my blog a couple of times. You know, I I had had essentially like a panic attack uh, while I was on the road a few years after I got hired full time at Google. And essentially the role that I had at the time, I was traveling three or four weeks out of the month. Uh, I was on the road constantly. I never saw my wife. I was hardly ever home. Uh, and I was traveling to four or five countries in a trip, you know, so it was like this very frenetic, you know, very highly active role. And, you know, I found myself on a hotel room floor in Japan at one point, oh, uh, wow. swearing that I was having a heart attack. And it turns out it wasn't a heart attack. It was a panic attack. And the first thing that I reached for was a Pena Chodron video on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what helped me kind of come down from that experience. And that, I think, was what really kind of fomented it in my mind of like, this works. You know, this is something I can reach for. <laughs> yeah, this stuff matters. <laughs> yeah, it really matters. So ever since then, that became a regular uh, part of my daily routine. Well, I really appreciate that it was so um, useful at that pointed moment in time. It's like sometimes that's the kind of... At the in Gurdjieff work in the third, there was a thing he called, uh, Gurdjieff was a teacher back in the early 1900s, and he had a very esoteric uh, training. And he talked about those kinds of moments as third force. And it's like an outside force that comes into your life that has enough heat in it to pop you into a new level of understanding and a new way of being in relationship to what's going on with you. And it sounds like that was you know, maybe that moment for you where you kind of kicked into a new level of engagement yeah. and, and hopefully awareness as a result. Yeah, absolutely. And I love I love the way you frame that too, because you know I think for me it was it was a series of moments that basically added up and cum- accumulated to the point where I was like, I know I feel better when I do this regularly, and I know that when I'm in crisis, if I turn towards this, it helps. And those two things by themselves were enough to convince me. And I'm a pretty stubborn guy in general. I was like, <laughs> this is something I need to actually do as a non-negotiable. I need you know, to I need actually to do. do. Right. I love that. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, it's, it's not an idea. It doesn't work as just an idea. It's an interesting idea, but there's something you have to get on the bike. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay, so now you're in a situation where you're able to use these skills and use the actual life learnings that you've had to kind of ground this down, ground this out and turn it into an opportunity, which is in and of itself is a reframing of fairly significant proportions that a lot of people would be happy just to, to achieve. Yeah. Um, and so what I'm wondering about, though, okay, someone calls you up and says, hey, I've been laid off. How do you go about what do you what do you do for them? How do you help that person? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's interesting because a lot of folks that have reached out to me for the first two months, essentially, while I, I was on this thing, what's called a notification period. So I, I technically got laid off on January 20th, but I didn't get terminated until actually a couple days ago. It was March 31st was my final, final day. Oh, so I was getting okay. by Google uh, over the last two months. So I was offering free coaching and free consultations for folks as well as free meditations over the last two months as just a way to give back to the community. Mm -hmm. Also as a way to kind of figure out like, what are people's challenges? What are they struggling with? How are, what words are they using to, to describe that? Mm -hmm. So that I could better, you know, essentially market myself to that audience in the first place and also figure out like, who is it specifically that I want to work with? Um, so a lot of folks that have been coming to me over the last couple months and, and even more recently, I mean, it, it spans the gamut. It's folks that have only been at the company for a year or so. Um, they're just trying to figure out like what they need to do to move forward in terms of job applications and like processing this career change. Some, a lot of these people have never been laid off before. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really just kind of normalizing that experience for them, helping them understand that whatever their feelings are and whatever the processes that they're going through is totally okay and totally normal. So that's part of it. Uh, there's also folks that, you know, and I, I count a couple of my friends among these these people, they were at the company for 17, 18, 19 years. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So it's not like they have a big history of layoffs in their history of experience. No, yeah. I mean, Google never laid anybody off in the history that I've been there in 13 hmm. years. I mean, not at the scale that they've done. So, you know, a lot of these folks, like they've just not applied for a job in 13 years or 14 years, or like they, they just don't know what comes next. And there's an identity mm. piece to that. So that's the, the bulk of the conversations that I'm having with folks is like, how do you take advantage of this moment in time as a moment of reflection, as a moment of um, intention to figure out, well, what do you want to do next? Now mm. that you have this bit of a runway in most cases. Now that you have this moment of disruption in your life, how do you use as a, that as an opportunity to chart a new path or to chart the path that you truly wanted to do? That's a lot of the conversation that I have. Mm -hmm. uh, another big chunk of conversation that I have with folks is really around the identity piece. Um, exactly. Who yes. am I without this job, without this title, without this belonging to a community? So it's a lot of unpacking that and unwinding that and trying to get people to a place of just stability, you know, to know that like whatever's happening in this moment is okay. It's temporary. We're in that bardo, like liminal stage of, of mm. life right now. And on the other side of it, the path will reveal itself and giving people a little bit of security and a little bit of sense of agency in that process. Mm, that's a lot right there. Cause like you say, when you get 15, 16, 18 years of experience with one company, who you are gets so wrapped up in the history of that, that if you haven't actively been working this notion of like in mindfulness, like I'm not my thoughts, you know, I'm not my story. I'm not my job. 
Mm-hmm. If you haven't actively worked that, then suddenly, like we talked before about third force, well, here it comes. You got laid off. Now I don't know who I am anymore. Yeah. And the, the methodology that I, I trained with in somatic psychotherapy was uh, Hakomi. And Hakomi is a Hopi Indian word that means what is my relationship to these many realms? Mm. And I love that so much. And so here it is, you know, what is my relationship to work? Like, who am I? And so we're helping people do that work of exploring that because it's necessary now. Mm-hmm. And then also once you bring that into focus and say, oh, well, it's not just work. It's like all these realms. So it's not just because once you bring in the, the question of who I am in relationship to work, it brings in who am I in relationship to any of my organizations that I'm involved with? Who am I? Mm-hmm. Right? It's a really yeah. big question, really foundational work. So how do you help people do that? I mean, do you have any specific techniques or orientations that you, do you help people kind of tease that out a little bit with? Yeah, so a lot of my work is kind of grounded in a handful of different philosophies. It's obviously, as we're talking about this, it's probably uh, not surprising. The Buddhist uh, psychology is a big component. Uh, Positive psychology would be another uh, large area. And then Stoic philosophy would be kind of the third. So those are kind of the three legs of the stool that I work with folks uh, for the most part. Um, A lot of it is really just kind of creating space for people to be able to express and to be able to put words to what their experience is. It's a challenge for people because like a lot of people aren't able to put words to what the feelings are that they're having. There's a lot of feelings happening all at once. So a lot of what we're doing is really just trying to create space and slow that whole process down. You know, I often do arrival practices with people to like allow them to settle into their experience. I'll usually close our session with a meditation of some sort as well. Uh, I encourage a lot of journaling and reflection uh, throughout the process of our coaching work together so they can kind of witness themselves in this moment as as, as, as if they were observing somebody in the wild, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea really behind this is just to really people, to get people familiar with the process as it unfolds and help them find ways to name their experience in a way that allows it to have space without judgment, without shame, uh, and without trying to like minimize it or push it away or stuff it down or quickly replace it with something else. Um, so that's kind of like the, the, the high level, uh, approach that I take. And then the key thing in that phrase that jumps at me is without them trying to push it away or fill it with something else, you know, it's kind of creating a capacity to kind of just literally be with, as they say, you know, that uncomfortableness and not race to fill the void. If you feel, feel it that way, it's very difficult, um, uh, skill to develop over time. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's really what I bring most to my clients is it's kind of the way I describe it is like creating a scaffolding around the the strengths and resources and resilience that they already have, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's not so much like, here's a bunch of other things to do. Here's a bunch of other techniques and, and, and workshops and stuff like that to do. It's more like, let's, let's figure out what resources you currently have. Let's figure out what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And let's simplify. Let's just really strip away all the unnecessary bets and get down to the core of like, what is your experience in this moment? Can you be present to it? Can you name? Can you can you allow it to be what it is? And and you know that's that's basically it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a lot, right? That's a lot, and it's very very aligned with the work that uh, in my own training, the Mindful Coach Method. One of the key tenets of the method is facilitate towards resourcefulness. So it's, mm-hmm. so I'm trying to co- when I'm coaching coaches, it's kind of like, well, you know, this guy he's feeling all this anger, and do I want to lead him into the anger? But he's also really glad to be free of his yoke of the job that he had that he didn't really like, and he feels 
liberated in a way too. And I'm in my bias in a situation like that is to facilitate towards resourcefulness, let them uh -huh. feel the freedom. And then once you really, really land in that and do somatic work, you know, you let them really feel that, then go back and look at the problem and see what it feels like from this resource place. And yeah. often it changes everything when they do that. Oh, that's a beautiful strategy. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, it's such an important thing to, to note too, Brett is like, we have internal resources. We have <laughs> internal strengths. We've made it this far. That's what I often say to my clients. You know, it's like, you've made it this far. Something must be working. Um, so not necessarily coming in and assuming that like I'm in the guru at the podium or I'm going to like in infuse them with some new skill or something. Yeah, exactly right. have. yeah. It's like, let's just clear the space in a way that allows those natural resources to come up. And then gives you the ability to then turn your attention towards the things that are more challenging and difficult with the aid of somebody else that's right there beside you. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think uh, we just need somebody to remind us there of our own resourcefulness. And, and even if I if I'm working with a client, sometimes I'll ask them, like, what if what has always been true for you about something that you've liked to do? Like you said yourself, you know, you've always been someone who likes to help. Right. And some and so it's like that would be a source of your and that's in the end. That's where you landed in your resourcefulness. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna activate that place where I've always been alive. Yeah, and it's not it's not an accident too. I mean, I basically did my own practices and my own coaching methods on myself <laughs> yes, exactly. you know, in order to process that. I mean, it's like I guess there's a benefit there too. Is like it's a battle tested uh, technology here as well. <laughs> field tested, right? Field exactly tested in the field under actual life circumstances. Exactly. Yeah, but, yeah, that's really, really powerful stuff. Um, um, how do people find you if they want to connect with you about the work that you're doing? Yeah, well, there's there's a couple of easy places to find me. LinkedIn is where I'm most uh, active. Uh, Nicholas Whitaker. There's a couple other ones out there. They're imposters, but if you can find me uh, in particular, uh, I'm, I'm pretty active on there. And then also on my website, nicholaswhitaker.com. Um, I've also uh, I'm all over the internet. You know, if you just search my name and coach, it should pop up. Um, and I have a newsletter that if people are interested, they can sign up for. It's the Sunday Sit with Nicholas newsletter. It comes out every Sunday. And it's a way for us to engage that's off social media, that's a little bit longer form. I, I provide resources, links to podcasts. I'll link to this episode, of course, as well. Um, and then, you know, it gives me an opportunity to have more of an interactive dialogue with people that's not in a constrained way within social media. Beautiful. And also should add to listeners that you can also find his profile on the Mindful Coach Association com. As listeners may know, we tend to interview coaches from the association and Nicholas is one of them. So you can just go to the website, um, Mindful Coach Association com, look him up there and there's all this contact information so you can engage all this great goodness, particularly if you're in a situation where you're struggling with the aftermath of these big life changes that we've been talking about because there's a lot of it going on. So what do you see as the next thing? I know that like there's been there's been these layoffs happening and there's was also just before that the big news was the great resignation, wanting to connect to something that's more meaningful for our work. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean I think I think it's really poignant. Uh thing that you're highlighting there, you know, you know, what I would say is that if you looked over the last few years, the pandemic, I think, really shifted people's perspective about what matters. 
uh, both in the ways that they worked from home and suddenly for two years, they had a different work environment that they were uh, in. And I'm speaking specifically of knowledge workers. Obviously, there's a lot of folks that didn't have that privilege and didn't have the opportunity. Frontline workers, first responders, the folks that are out there like still dealing with COVID uh, have a different scenario. But even those folks, I think, reevaluated like what really matters to them. I know a lot of folks that work in the restaurant industry that just bailed on it altogether because it became a really miserable experience, more so than it ever was, mm-hmm. to be in those environments. But a lot of us that work in offices and that were uh, knowledge workers, you know, I think what we realized was like the, the trappings of going into an office to, you know, sit in front of a computer that you could just as easily sit in front of a computer at home, not being able to be with your children, not being able to be with your pets, you know, like all of these things, I think really changed people's perspective about what they value and what matters to them. So the great resignation, you know, I think that it's really a, kind of a catchphrase that was slapped onto a phenomenon that's been occurring for a really long time. And I think that phenomenon is people reevaluating and reassessing their relationship back to what we were saying earlier with Hakomi, like, reevaluating what their relationship is to labor and to work and to corporations and to these entities who at the end of the day, don't always have the individual's best interests in mind. So you saw quiet quitting, you saw the great resignation, and then the pendulum as it often does swung back the other way and became more favorable towards employers. You know, that pendulum swings constantly. And it's only a matter of time until it swings back. And I think the tech industry is an interesting one because, you know, in the grand scheme of the economy right now in the United States, the tech industry is kind of like imploding right now. But most of the rest of the economy is doing okay. You know, like jobs are increasing. You know, there are layoffs in other industries that are happening right now. But generally speaking, there's a lot of movement that's happening in the economy, even despite inflation happening right now. And even despite the Fed raising interest rates and all this stuff. When you say movement, you mean mean good stuff, like the improving economy. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's an improving economy. Things are moving forward. People are still getting jobs. I think we're still, like, generally speaking, at the lowest unemployment rate that we've had in, like, many, many years. Um, So, you know, I think think what we're witnessing right now and, like, probably what's going to happen in the near future here is it's going to be a continuation of this reevaluation. And what I hope to see is increased pressure on organizations that are toxic or that are unhealthy to shape up, you know, and I think what we're probably going to end up seeing is like more and more competitiveness where people are able to pick and choose the organizations and the industries that they want to work in in a little bit, in a little bit better way than they have been in the past. And I think that what we'll probably see are people are going to be evaluating, like, is my well-being more important than the bottom line of this company? And I think that's really what we saw with the great resignation is that people were realizing this is not a healthy environment for me. You know, I'm not feeling fulfilled. I'm not learning and I'm not growing. So I think that's going to continue. You know, I think another thing that's probably going to end up happening. And and again, I really hope that it happens is kind of a resurgence of training and education for managers and for people who are Mm -hmm. actually running these organizations. There's a group that I'm a part of called changing work and we use the hashtag changing work. And the whole idea behind that is to bring these things that we're talking about today into the workplace to help leaders and managers understand what trauma is, how to manage people through great change and great transition, uh, what it means to create a psychologically safe team and a psychologically safe environment for people to be able to thrive, to be able to be productive. 
Um, what I fear, though, in the meantime, is it's going to be a little bit more of like what we're seeing right now. And I was just reading recently the company that I got laid off from. You know, they're like, you know, reducing the cafeteria options that are available. They're, you know, mm. getting rid of tape dispensers and staplers and things like that. Not allowing people to refresh their computers more more regularly. So there's this cost cutting and there's a shaving down of things um, in aid of a bump in share prices for a quarter. It's not a long-term thinking. It's a very short-term thinking. And I don't think that that's going to be a great outcome, you know, in the, in the long run. Uh, so I'll be interested to in kind of see, and it's hard to predict how these things occur, but it'll be really interesting to see how these organizations that are choosing to go this route, to lay people off, to, to cut corners, to cut costs in order to serve Wall Street. It'll be interesting to see where they end up and what other kinds of entities and what other kinds of companies come up in the, into, the, into the forefront. Um, it will be interesting. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't no, have a crystal ball, but you know, I, I think there's a lot of possible opportunity here in terms of where things are going. I agree completely. There's difficult to say because there's always this lag between, particularly with these large corporations in terms of a policy. And then, you know, six months later, you see what happens. And um, it's uh -huh. going to be very interesting. And of course, traditionally, there's a lot of um, pressure at the, at the, upper levels of these organizations to produce those short-term results. Sure. And often that has long-term consequences, as you say. And I, I believe that, you know, what's being called for, and I don't know if we'll make this transition, but it's what you're, you're saying, but is a wholesale overhaul of the way we structure organizations so that they incorporate as a part of their success model, not just Wall Street, but also the well-being of the people that are in the organization and the people that they serve. And when you factor that in as like part of your quality, like part of the quality of the product that we make is not only a part of the, the outcome of the whatever we're creating, whether it be a service or a product, but also how is it impacting the people who are creating, servicing, and consuming those services? I think once we get to a place where you have a more holistic view of those things, the world becomes a lot a, a better place to live. Yeah. That's not going to be easy to do, but no, it's going to be a lot for. of work. Yeah, but I think I think like that's where folks like ourselves and other practitioners of mindfulness and coaching come in, you know. And I, and I, I do have a lot of hope that there's enough of a groundswell of people understanding that the ways in which business has occurred over the last many years is not sustainable and it's not humane. And I do like to hold the faith that enough people are becoming aware of this and are standing up and saying uh, enough is enough. And I think what we'll probably find more than anything is that organizations that double down on well-being, that double down on work-life balance, and that really focus on the well-being of their teams will thrive. And the organizations that don't will likely not. I mean, there's a lot of data that points to healthy teams are productive teams and productive exactly. teams create revenue for companies. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be very mechanistic about it, it's like mindful people in general are have a, a capacity to be more resilient under stress than people who don't have those skills. And consequently, they are better in un uncertain scenarios where we don't know what the future is going to bring. We don't know if there's going to be a pandemic. We don't know if there's going to be a turn down in, in business or relocation or, or we just don't know. But whatever happens, you want a staff that can adapt. 
and won't stress out or burn out. Uh, so yes to, you know, having those mindfulness skills and positive psychology skills and emotional intelligence skills, all that bundled together because it changes not only the way you work, but your relationship to work and hopefully therefore the organizations that are creating that work. Well, yeah, this has absolutely. been such a great conversation. I've really enjoyed talking to you. So once again, you guys can find Nicholas Whitaker out there on the net on LinkedIn and the Mindful Coach Association.com. Be sure to look him up and engage. Um, did you say you had a podcast? I thought I heard you say that. Not yet, but there is okay. one coming soon. So I, I've got a couple things. Yeah, I've got a couple things coming up. I have a group coaching program that I'm going to be launching in May. I've also got a multi-week, six-week-long mindfulness journey and exploration of mindfulness. So if people are interested in starting a mindfulness practice, it's a really easy way to do that among community, which is a way that I feel like is always better to learn is amongst other people. Absolutely. Uh, at some point this year, I will be launching a podcast. Uh, I have some ideas in terms of what I want to cover and the types of people that I want to talk to, but uh, I'm not announcing anything about that specifically. Just yeah, that's you know. So get on the mailing list so you'll find out about it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So perfect. So you find uh, listeners can find these details in the show notes, and you know what else? Any parting comments or thoughts you want to you want to say before we leave? Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, first of all, Brett, just thank you again for the opportunity to share and the opportunity to even just be a part of the, the mindful coaching method and all the work that you're doing. I, I was attracted to you through your work through LinkedIn and through just what you were putting out there. So I'm just really excited that you're out there doing these things and you're offering these types of trainings to coaches and to other folks. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of like the, the types of people that I'm working with and the people that are out there right now who are struggling with change and transition and trying to find purpose and meaning in all of this right now, you know, I think, the, the biggest thing that I could tell a few people is like to be present to your experience as much as you can be right now. There's so much to learn about yourself in times of crisis. And I, I feel like the more aware we can be of our experiences while we're going through these transitions, the more it's going to help us uh, uh, later on in the future when another type of thing like this might happen. It's inevitable that you're going to encounter change and transition, but it's all about how you respond to that change and transition that makes the difference in your experience. So hang in there. It's going to be okay. And uh, if you need help, reach out. Beautiful. Wise words. Thank you so much. It's been great having you on the Mindful Coach Podcast. Thanks so much, Fred. And that's a wrap for this edition of the Mindful Coach Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this presentation. And if you did, follow us and leave us a review. If you're a coach or helping professional that values mindfulness in your work, browse over to MindfulCoachAssociation.com and create a free community profile describing your services so the world can find you. And you'll be invited to exclusive community meetings where you can meet your colleague. I'm your host, Brett Hill, founder of the Mindful Coach Association, coach and coach trainer teaching the Mindful Coach Method. You can find out more about me at TheMindfulCoach.com. Until next time, stay present.